0: Listen, if you're visiting today, you're watching online, and whether you know or don't know what this is about and what we're doing here, and you might think these people are they're they're pretty enthusiastic. You know, well, there's a reason for that. And the reason is we have discovered the greatest love, the greatest beauty, consummate goodness. That's what we have discovered that and we're doing everything we can to draw near to that beauty just like when you're cold and there's a fire and you gather around the fire to enjoy its warmth the beauty of God is the stream of consummate life that we gather around and we're inviting you today to lean in closer than you've ever leaned and you might be thinking as if you're here and you're visiting like well the music's pretty good yeah it is It's a pretty nice place yeah it's it's nice colors are good you know overheads are colorful they're exciting but if you lean a little deeper there's something a little more beautiful but a little less tangible it's the presence of jesus christ and so we invite you to long for him and desire him this morning as we continue to worship you know, I was thinking of this testimony. I want to share this testimony at the beginning because I want to put it out there that, that the power of God can break every bondage, every single chain, every single addiction, every preoccupation, that, every distraction, every, every bondage, every demonic presence, he can break. And I want to declare this morning that the anointing of God is here to break the yokes. A friend of ours uh, on Vancouver Island here recently shared a testimony. And it was, uh, he, he's a bit of an evangelist, getting lots of people saved there. But there was uh, a Satanist that came to his church. And uh, he didn't want to come in the church, and he was. I I don't know, talking to him outside and and the the pastor invited him to come in and he said, and he he began to talk about his covenant with Satan and he pointed to a ring that he had on his finger that was symbolic of this covenant and he said, said, are you sure you want somebody with demons to come into your church? You know, I, I don't know what the attitude of him, whether he was challenging, but it seemed like he was hungry. He was desiring freedom. And the pastor said, absolutely. We're not afraid at all of demons. Yeah. And, uh, and the young man stepped into the church. And the second he, drew, he stepped over the threshold of the church, the ceramic ring that was on his finger exploded. <laughs> yeah, that happened like a week, in, a week ago. God is able to do more than what we can ask or think or even imagine. Even imagine. And so we want to declare the emancipation of the people of God. Glory to God. But it, it begins with your deliverance from sin. It begins with your deliverance from demons. It begins with your deliverance from enslaving behaviors, but it doesn't stop there. It gets infinitely better than that. And so this morning, you know, actually, once again, I didn't have a name for this message, but during prayer, we were leaning in, and, and I was feeling the beauty of God. I was just feeling the, how glorious God was as I was praying in the spirit and leaning in and seeing the Lord in my mind's eye. And as we were sitting there, somebody across from me began to weep and, and, uh, and they began to pray out of this similar encounter and they began to pray this, Awaken Desire. Awaken Desire. And I thought, oh, there it is. That's, that's perfect. That's a perfect title for this morning's message and so we're praying, God, Holy Spirit, that you would awaken desire. Father, we, we pray today, Lord, that desire would come alive again in our lives. Lord, whether we are finding ourselves right now in the winter, in a season of drought, in a season where the flourishing beauty of of spring has vanished from our lives, from our love, from our passion, from our faith, we say in Jesus' name. Today, you will break up the fallow ground, Lord. You will introduce a spade in the earth of our heart, and you will begin to turn over the soil for a new day, a new harvest, a revitalization in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. That's what we want. That's what we want. Now... Uh, There's so many ways to illustrate this, and uh, I was thinking of this because I think sometimes the enemy pulls one over on us. Sometimes, yeah. (laughs) It happens more than you think. But, you know, it's like we get lulled into what the Bible calls dullness. You know, when the apostles were confronting the early church, how old was the early church? Very young. Right? Not saved for very long. It didn't take very long before he's correcting them, he's warning them, he's admonishing them, and he's telling them, look at in Hebrews, he says this thing. He says, listen, by now, you ought to be here, but you're here. All right? Expect that to happen. All right? Expect that God, through his prophets, through his apostles, will challenge you to be more alive than you are right now right? Don't be insulted by the fact that somebody says, you know what? Your faith is maybe weaker than it should be. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't be insulted. Don't be offended by that. Because, I mean, otherwise, who do you think you are? I mean, are we really? Can we actually espouse the fact that we are the epitome of maturity? That we represent the fullness of passion and love and faith to God? Nobody would say that. Therefore, something is missing, So anytime somebody suggests you're less than you ought to be, that is not an insult. That is a reality check. A reality check. But here's what the enemy does. He convinces us that it's normal to become dispassionate. That it's normal. This is the way it is. Well, no, 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 no. There are some things that change in, in mature love. There's something that changes in mature faith, but it isn't on, the, on the, the equation side of passion and desire. Actually, if you are maturing in God, your passion and desire increases, Amen. continues to increase. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. How many of you like food of some sort? Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, we always joke about this about our dog because our dog has a belly god. He, uh, I mean, his favorite people are the people that feed him. It's you know that's who he loves the most. You know, he, what are you gonna do? He's he is duplicitous. <laughs> uh, you know, he's not pure in his love. He loves those who spend most time with him. He loves those who play with him the most. He loves those who more than anything else feed him. All right, because he loves food. And you know what? He has the, the worst food ever. We don't give him human food. We don't give him flavorful things. There's no lemongrass in his his bowl ever. <laughs> right, there's no spice, there's nothing exciting about his food, but man, he devours that stuff like it was chocolate, <laughs> filet mignon, exactly, right, he, he just, he has not lost any of his passion for food. <laughs> and, uh, and you know what, if you think about it, the things you love the most, right, you don't go back and forth in your love for those things. You know, if you love chocolate, the issue is uh, um, governing your desire for it, right? If you love food, you've got to govern your desire for it. I mean, if you love football, you've got to govern your desire for it. Now, in, in, our, in our existence, God is actually trying to pull on the strings of desire to focus us away from other things and more to him. And so that should be changing. But the reality is this. When you have a deep, significant passion for something, it, it doesn't just disappear. Right? It doesn't just go away. It's there. It's alive. And so I want to say this right now. Expect and believe for an increasing passion for God. Not a diminishing. I mean, we should not be getting flippant. We should not be getting uh, tired of assembling and seeking the Lord. In fact, there's nothing today, there's absolutely nothing more beautiful and more wonderful than the presence of God. And I'm reminded of that every time I get into his presence. I mean, I might be distracted by, you know, something else that's wonderful, like, you know, I mean, I love to travel, love going places, but really, when day to day, the thing that I love the most is the presence of God because I've discovered a love unlike anything else. Amen. So I want to I want to share out of that deep passion that I have, and I'm believing that something is going to be excited in you, and I want you to right now start to question, start to challenge, start to distance yourself from the normal, the sense that 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 uh, that. That passionlessness is normal. It's not. It's not normal. It's not to be expected. Now, I want to read this to you. Psalm 19, verse 7 and 9. It says I, I, I was thinking about this morning because as I was drawing near the Lord, what I, what I begin to feel is the, the profound beauty of his presence. I, I begin to feel the actual wonder of who he is. And so as I'm, as I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking, what scriptures are there that articulate how beautiful it is? And so I start turning to Psalm 19, 7 to 9. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. I mean, this, the psalmist here is amplifying and glorifying the beauty of what is available. Father, right now, impart to this room a fresh wonder a fresh amazement, a sense of awe about what it is that's available. Father, we pray that the dullness that came over the Hebrews, the dullness that would cause them to not see the beauty, the intensity of what was available from before them, I pray, God, we would not fall into that, but we'd be delivered from that. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right in rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous together. In short, there's nothing more beautiful, nothing more wonderful than the presence of God. Now, last week I talked about this from the sense of seeking, from the sense of the the life of Moses. I t- began to talk about how Moses was drawn to the bush and that from that time forward, from that very first encounter with God, his life was filled with an increasing desire for more. It, every time he was met with a sense of diminishing returns, he 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 wanted to up the game. You know what diminishing returns are? So it, it means It means once you have... Once you've experienced something and it's given you a thrill, it doesn't give you the same thrill anymore. So what you need is more of that. Some people are thrill seekers in the area of danger, right? Because they say, oh, I've never felt so alive as when I was catapulting down to the earth at hundred miles an hour. So, 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 you know, and now that's not doing it for me. So I'm gonna go hang by my fingernails on the edge of a cliff, right? Right. Diminishing returns means you don't get the same enjoyment out of something, so what you need is more of that thing, not less. All right? What we need, and this is the, what, what desire, what the apostles and, the, and the, the prophets and the great men of old taught us is that your passion for God can bring you into greater and greater dimensions of his presence. Not less, we shouldn't be seeking less. If we are happy with less of God today, then something is wrong. Put it in your in your in your mind right now. Something is wrong. If I'm less hungry, less desirous for an encounter than I was 5 years ago. Don't ex- don't think of that as normal. It's wrong. Something's broken. We had a friend a few years ago, he's a smoker. Tried to quit, I think, a number of times, but he couldn't quit smoking. Well, he had smoked so long that the smoking had done something to his mouth. And he said to me one day, he said, yeah, he said, ah, I don't even taste food anymore. I got no taste buds. Like, like they are completely dead. So food does not interest me. And, of course, consequently, he was quite skinny. <laughs> right? You know, uh, some think that's a benefit. But, uh, But he had no capacity to enjoy food anymore. And so food was a duty. Food was a duty, nothing else. I eat to live. I get no enjoyment out of it. Does that define your faith today? Does that define your church attendance, your participation in the family of God? It's a duty. I don't get anything out of it anymore, but, you know, I have to. I'm supposed to. I'm obligated by the fact that I i, I don't want to lose my reward. I don't want to lose my place in the body of Christ. You know, I'm working my way up the ladder. I'm hoping one day to be an elder. Uh, yes, yes, the path up to being an elder or a deacon or somebody significant in the kingdom of God is becoming dead and driven by duty. <laughs> I say not. Now, here's the problem we have, is that the nature of our condition without Christ is that we are asleep. The Bible uses all kinds of different language, kind of different imagery, but we are unable to taste and see that he's good. So the Bible says, taste and see that God is good. And that's what we are invited to do. And so we're here today to enjoy him. Now, what we discover afterwards there are people who carry dimensions of him that are more than we have the ability to enjoy so we get around them because man the presence of god is with them when these guys pray when these guys worship when these guys hang out man they are there there's something about them that's so enjoyable so we are invited to go on this path but the challenge we have is that we're coming out of dullness a dullness so great now, the Bible says it really, we can't even enjoy the beauty of light because we're enjoying darkness. And, and the fight that we're fighting is, a, is the wrestling against principalities and powers that are trying to deaden and muzzle your faith, your desire, your passion so that you, you forget what it was like to enjoy the beauty of God. Father, awaken all around this room. Father, I say in Jesus' name, wherever the triggers of the enemy have operated to to muzzle, to... Uh, to cover up, to suppress our deep desire for more of you, I say in Jesus' name, let those things be reversed. And Father, if there was a place where we made a decision, where we thought a thought, where we released words from our mouths that were judgmental, full of hatred, uh, uh, um, self-righteous against our brothers and sisters, and it has caused something to muzzle our faith, Release us, forgive us today in Jesus' name. Now, let me just say this God has an inherent problem. You know what that problem is? Our inability to understand. God, ha- God has a big problem. I was writing about this in my book, uh, Metaspheres, when I was talking about when God was first coming to Israel. He was. He, this is an agrarian society. These are people who fight with swords, and with uh, you know, I mean, a chariot and uh, and horses is like that's a big luxury. We didn't we didn't they didn't have very much of those. So when they were trying to conquer their enemies, if their enemies had chariots, like, wow, well, what are we gonna do? They got chariots, right? It's like uh, you know, I mean, I think our armaments, our military is significantly advanced from that. But God is coming to them, and He's trying to could tell them, listen, I'm going to take you into this land, this land of, that flows with milk and honey, and I'm going to give it to you. And they're like, yeah, but there are bad people there. There, there, there. There's walled cities there, big walls, big big walls. And we went in and we looked, and they're giants, like they're orcs. You know, like they're, they're huge. You know, they, they, got, they got spears like weaver beams, you know. I mean, we, we can't do this. And, and God is trying to say, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. I have an arsenal. I will go before you. It's like, eh, that's great. But how are you going to do that? Like, uh, Okay, give us chariots. Give us champions. Give us, say, no, 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 I have something much better. Well, what do you have? I have something better than photon missiles. What's a photon missile? You know, from Star Trek. What's Star Trek? (laughs) I mean, the technologies of the arsenal of God are more advanced than we today can even ask or think in this room. How hard would it have been for Israel to imagine that an invisible God with invisible power could beat A visible people with an army, with horses, with chariots, with trained soldiers from their childhood. We're farmers. We're slaves. A couple of us even know how to hold a sword properly. Our technique is not very good. God said, don't worry it. I can give you a forward shield that even neutron bombs cannot per- penetrate. You getting the, getting the idea? They got no grid. There's no capacity. There's no language you can use that they would share to, to begin to display what it is that he has held in reserve. So how is he going to do this? like, man. So he says, hey, let's do this. Okay, I, I need to show you how powerful I am. I mean, evidently, destroying the largest empire on the earth in Egypt was not enough. <laughs> you know, bringing plagues and and you know, layer upon layer upon layer, judging them, that still isn't enough for you. So here's the here's what we're gonna do. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna come down and display a drop of who I am, and it's just a drop. On Mount Sinai. So have this moment. It's this. Colossal manifestation of the power of God. The sound of the trumpet gets louder and louder. It literally terrifies. It's louder than anything. The earth shakes. I mean, lightning thunders, dark clouds on it. And, and they, men, they are so convinced. What are they? No, they, they, they scurry away in fear. Don't even let God talk to us anymore. It's like, it's like yeah, my plan backfired. I I thought this would cause them to want to draw closer to me, but now they're even more afraid of me. So I can't tell them, I can't explain to them who I am. I can't illustrate my weapons. A, A drop of my person terrifies them and sends them scurrying. Hmm. How do I let them know how great I am? How do I do that? And so this is the problem we face today because we think, well, yeah, but we're we're way more advanced than them. We know what pie is, not the eating kind, (laughs) the mathematical kind. We we know what a photon torpedo or, or missile is, at least on film. We know what neutron bombs and, you know, uh, chemical weapons and the arsenals have been. We've, we've seen these things. So we, we, if, if we haven't seen them in person, we've seen versions of them depicted in film. And so at least our imagination can conceive of things that are beyond we, everything we know. And God is saying, no, 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 I have even more than that. In fact, I have more than you can even imagine. More than you can imagine. Man. Right now, let's imagine a food more than we can imagine. (laughs) That's an oxymoron. You can't do it. It's more than you can imagine. So if you can imagine a lot, more. So what God has realized is that he's going to teach us by association. Association. Why? Because... uh, Compared, us compared to God is, is we're far more removed than dogs are to us I want you to think about this With, if, if in this equation dogs were us and we were God the space between us and God right now is greater than if dogs were us That's that's unimaginable. So, what are dogs like? Well, dogs, we we of course we assign to them all kinds of emotions, and I don't know for sure if they have as many emotions. Like, you know, they're faithful and they're wonderful, and we love our dog. But how complex are his desires? Well, one of you hold a stake in in the corner, and the the one the one who loves them the most have nothing. And the two of you call that dog. <laughs> Who does he run to? Ten out of ten times, it'll be the one with the steak. Right? So, association. God uses association. There's a, a, uh, a scientist some years ago whose name was Pavlov. Actually, it's Ivan Petrovich Pavlov. He was a Russian Experimental uh, psychologist, and he he discovered something they called classical conditioning. Which, and they, this most famous experiment, they call it Pavlov's dog. How many of you heard of Pavlov's dog? Right? It's like okay, we're gonna we're going to feed him food and ring a bell at the same time, and create an association between the ringing of the bell and and the food. And then later on, once they they just ring the bell and not bring food, and he would start to drool because of the association of ringing the bell with the food. In other words, he can't understand the significance of ringing the bell because he doesn't understand English. It's a bell. When you hear the bell, come running, and he won't. Right? So you train him by association. That's how God has done it with us. He is training us with association because we're dull. We are dull. We are incapable of appreciating the depth of his wisdom. He can't speak our language, or rather we can't speak his language, so he's got to dumb everything down massively. Massively. He can't show us who he really is because when he starts to show us who he really is, we scurry off in terror because the majesty of his presence. He says, listen, even if you really want to show me what I did on the mountain, that's nothing. That's nothing. And Moses began to realize that was nothing. So he says, Lord, I want to see your glory. I want to see your essence. And finally he says, well, can't let you see that, but I'll let you see my backside. A, a version of this, a diminished dumbed down. Because if you see me, you can't live. You would be immediately evaporated. Uh, nothing can contain the power that's in me except me restraining myself. So I can't, you can't experience the fullness of me. You can't. Unless you are made of the same substance that I am. Right? It's like things from Krypton and Superman. The only thing that could, right, you know, defeat Superman was things from Krypton because they are of the same nature. And so the only way that we could handle the manifestation of God is if He made us like Him. You know what? Come to think of it, that's the plan. Huh. That is the plan of God. I want you to experience me, but I can't unless I change your essence unless I change the very material of what you're made up with, unless I change your, the base of your, of your emotions, the, if I, unless I change your thinking, unless I change your very essence. This is what it's talking about. One day we'll see him as he is and we'll be made like him. The last stage of our transformation into his likeness will occur as we will get a body like his body able to endure and absorb the, blue, the glory of his essence. That's, that's the plan. So what are we doing here then? We are by faith. That means without seeing right in front of us the values, we are by faith believing that there's value in undergoing a training by him so that our nature would be different so that we can absorb more of him. That's what's really happening. And the way that God is getting us ready for this is by association. And so God uses these analogies all the way through Scripture. And that's why Jesus, when he's talking about the kingdom of God, he always says the kingdom of God is like, it's like this, it's like that, it's like that. Because there's nothing that truly can represent it in all its its various facets. And so... When he's talking about something, he's talking about a narrow part of the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of God is like this, but not all the kingdom, just parts of the kingdom. It's like, well, that's not very helpful. Which parts? Yeah, can't even, you're so dull, I can't even explain it to you. Just take it by faith, this is true. You feel edified yet? <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to edify you by saying that he is more and that we are less and that we need him more, more than we can possibly imagine. That there's no stop-off point on this journey that is adequate. I'm a pretty good Christian now, you know, most of my major sinning is gone. You know, I... Hardly do any of the dire evil. I can pretty much suppress most of the evil. Right? I, I can keep it under wraps. I got a pretty good reputation amongst those that know me. They, they consider me quite an average Christian. That may be all I can aspire to. I want to say to you, aspire to more. Aspire to more. Aspire to more. This is the beauty of this thing, that where you can be in God is not limited by the capacity of the people presently around you. That it's being determined by your desire. The insatiable unsatiable nature of your passion for more will determine how much that you get. And here's what happens is that is that as God changes you that that change changes who you are in the midst of the people of God. Oh, I know we could talk a lot about that because there's so much pointless envy that goes on in churches and in the social order thing. And I think like you're 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 busy you're busy arguing in a room which of you is the greatest hockey player, but you won't go to practice? <laughs> right you won't go to the gym you won't take power skating lessons just a little plug there for the lollies <laughs> right I mean, this is the nature of this thing the enemy causes us to get caught up in division accusation competition uh, envy strife uh, uh criticism of others and god is saying even if you were better than them, which you're not, the way to, the way to actually live this is not be the way you're being. is the polar opposite. Furthermore, if you just lean into this one thing, if you just get to know me more, yes. <sighs> oh, what I could change in your life. All the things that I could change in your life. I'm telling you, I, 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 don't want to, I don't want to diminish any part of the church except to say this. What is being offered to us right now, no matter who you are, no matter how many years you've been on the earth or how many years you've been in the church or what you think you know, what is being offered to all of us right here in this room is more than the church has ever experienced ever experienced if you think about the greatest heroes of the faith that are that are set up as examples for us right i I mean and we think oh if i could just be a little bit listen they were given to stimulate hope and vision and desire because god is saying you could be that and more you know (laughs) and and sometimes we hesitate to even say these things you know why Because most of us, instead of hearing you can be more, they hear you are more. (laughs) And, you know, I've, I've run around charismatic circles all my life, all my Christian life, and it's amazing how many churches are filled with people who latch on to the promise of being more but never do what it takes to be that more and live into the delusion that they are more. I'm not interested in pretending to be something I'm not. I want to see the power of God. I want to see the wisdom of God. I want to, I want to just not think I'm something. I want the, the, the reality of that to unfold in such a way that the whole world witnesses if, that that is either true or not true. I want to see the proof of that. That's what's being offered to us. I was talking with uh, somebody the other day about about what the political world needs. You know what the political world needs? People who are not caught up in the political world. (laughs) People who are caught up increasing their reputation in heaven. That the power of such people is going to unfold in future days in such a way when these men and women walk into a room, they will begin to display such understanding, such wisdom, such comprehension of the, uh, of the complex nature of the challenges that face our cultures, our societies, and will have such response, such wisdom as to how to solve these things that they will immediately have authority. In rooms they haven't even been voted or appointed to be in. That's what Jesus did. He didn't go to Gamaliel's school. He wasn't raised as a Pharisee. He was a carpenter's son. You know, on the, on the, on the totem pole of the Jewish system that's really low. And so when when they said, you know, when he would enter in in John 7, I was I'm we'll see if we get to it. In John 7, he comes to the feast and uh, he's there he comes up secretly, covertly. Yeah, no, and they're wondering, where is he? And all of a sudden he shows up in the temple and he's teaching. You know what? He's got a crowd around them. People are wanting to hear his wisdom. You have access amazing wisdom and you think oh yeah I want to get some of that alright well get the wisdom in plain sight first everybody wants secret wisdom everybody wants wisdom and nobody else has <laughs> yeah but the way that God has constructed the kingdom of God is you know what if you want secret wisdom then align with somebody who has more wisdom than you and serve them Bless them, submit to them, follow them, listen to them. Apply what they're saying to your life because the evidence that you really want the wisdom that's not yet revealed is you're willing to, to embrace and cherish the wisdom that is right in front of your face. Oh, now I've taken the meddling. That's a phrase they always used to use in Texas when I was a young Christian. uh, He's taking the meddling. That means uh, talking practically about your real life. (laughs) Let's get back to this. Association. So so God is trying to teach us through association. So I want to get to this main thing. This is the thing I wanted to talk about this morning. Have I talked about it before? Yes. Why am I talking about it again? Because it's the main thing. It's, it's the most important thing, and here it is. He is life. He is consummate love. He is the answer to everything that we need. And so because of that, Jesus said things like this. In John chapter 7, after he had come up to the, uh, to the feast secretly, he comes up and uh, he finds himself in the temple speaking and sharing and, and again, he's running into the, the social system of the Jewish people, and they're saying, you know, who is this guy? We don't know him. In other words, he didn't come up the, the ladder that we've approved of. That's, that's what it means by we don't know him. Like, you know, have any of the, the teachers of the law of renown and respect that we, you know, are deluded by, have they approved him? No, because he's not interested in their form of version of wisdom. And, and so uh, he, he, come, he comes up and he says, you know who I am, you know where I've come from. And then it says this, on the last day, that great day of the feast, which was just yesterday, you know, in terms of our chronology, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if... Anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And when did that happen? When Jesus left the earth. The Holy Spirit was poured out 10 days later, as they were in uh, in, uh, or uh, I think it was 10 days, uh, over in the uh, upper room. The spirit was poured out. I mean, he was saying to them something very significant at that time. In fact, I was hearing about it yesterday that at this day, that great day of the feast, what they would do is they would bring water out from the pool of Siloam and they would pour it over the mercy seat to cleanse it. And so with that in mind, on that day when they regularly did that and everybody waited for that magical ceremony, oh, here comes the water from the Pool of Siloam. Oh! He says, you know, as to create a contrast, a juxtaposition between that temporal versus that's a picture of me. He said, he said, listen, come to me, all you that thirst, because I have water. And if you believe in me, you won't have to go to the pool of Siloam for your refreshing water, for your cleansing flood. I am your cleansing flood. But what he said here is, is well, let me put it this way. It's not only important, it's not only a, a good imagery, it's the essence of our life. If you've ever been in a dry land, if you've ever been in a, a desert, every once in a while, on the edges of the desert or somewhere in the desert, you'll find an oasis. And you'll find that the, uh, the lifestyle, miles and miles and miles away from the oasis and the lifestyle at the oasis are radically different. The first thing you're going to see is you're going to see live vegetation. You're going to see palm trees and greenery. The larger the oasis, the larger that that tributary of water flowing through a parched desert land, the more things flourish. That is a prophetic picture of what water can do. And it's not only true in the natural, it's true in the spirit. So I want you to picture that. So picture a, a vast, vast desert with one place in the center of that desert that has vegetation, that is growing food, that is, has sustenance. And out from that, and it's, it's around a, a body of water. And what the, what the truth is this, what creation tells us is that water is a life-giving source that we need. for It generates and germinates all of these things. And what God is saying to you, he said, you know, It's great, you come to church and you're doing all these things and you're paying attention to all the the things that are Christian, but in all of that, don't forget, don't be distracted from the wellspring that is me. Here's what happens, here's what happens. We're that desert and somehow A spring of water comes up in the middle of our life. Spring of water. Oh, so glorious. All of a sudden, we have vegetation we never had before. Except that vegetation is, it's not vegetation. It's a, a different version of you. Now, it's happening because of the water. You've been connected to a water source. But there's other things that you're doing along that. You know, you have to... You have to show up at church. You have to read your Bible. You have to, when well, you know, you come into church, or you have to, you want to worship the Lord. So, so you're doing those things, and what happens is you get more connected to the things you're needing to do than to the water itself. And what happens is you start crediting those things for what the water is doing. Those things don't give you water. Those things demonstrate your desire for water. Nothing more. Oh. But here's, here's what happened. God resists the proud. God resists the proud. And so what happens is, is we're, we are a desert. We are worthless. We realize we're worthless. We start crying out to God, God, come and change me. And he touches our life. And releases water at the core of our being. And all of a sudden, vegetation starts coming up. And we're like, like people say, oh, they really nice flowers. Yes. Oh, this old thing? <laughs> you know? And we start to realize that, man, you know, when I, when I do this and this, I get, I get recognition from others. I get uh, endorsements. I get, I get influence. And what happens we our hearts are seduced away from the water to the admiration we get because of the the leaves that we have, and without knowing it, we get distracted from the source of life and the nature of this well is if you stop pulling on it, it stops producing, stops releasing, and then you're Your vegetation starts to diminish and dwindle. But don't worry. There's a silk plant salesman just down the road. And we start substituting things that come out of effort that produce a version of what water produces but are not the same. And then we find ourselves in this place where we're thirsty, we're dry, and we, we think, yeah, I don't know what's wrong with this church. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with, I used to really enjoy Pastor Mark's sermons, and they're like, you know, he's, he's a little bossy. <laughs> a little demanding. This might be a cult. <laughs> and we start to interpret others by our dryness and we haven't realized that somewhere somewhere the beauty the simplicity of devotion to Jesus has been stolen from us by other things and all the other things there's an there's innumerable numbers of, of ways this can play out but what God is trying to tell us, listen, in me, in me is everything that you need. He's saying, Repent, turn back. Turn back from being enamored at how people rejoiced over your your broad leaves and growing garden. Listen, I'm gonna share a couple of scriptures then I'm gonna close. This is the analogy that Jesus gave, that water is the essence of this thing. But it's not just water. It's because water is the outflow of the life of God. It is the manifestation of the beauty of his essence, but the only manifestation that is palatable to our depleted state. And so that's what he gives us. And he's saying, if you want, you can have more. If you really want this, you can have more. So last week, I talked about this whole idea of seeking God. How important is that? It is the core of everything. Amen. Hebrews eleven five 5-6 says, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had a testimony that he pleased God. Imagine that. Imagine being so pleasing to God. It's like, I can't wait till he dies. I'm taking him now. It doesn't happen very often. And so the writer of Hebrews makes this next statement. He says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That means the baseline of what faith does is it causes you to search. It causes a belief that He has something I need. And it gives you the confidence to know that I believe that if I seek Him, I'll get the thing that I want. And what is that thing? It's not a new car. It's not a better position in the church. It's not a, you know, God breathing on your company. It can be all of those things, but the essence of what it is, it's, it's him. This is what God uh, uh, um, said to Abraham in Genesis 15.1. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. I am the answer to all your pining. I am the answer to all your dearth. I am the answer to every need that you have. I am the, I am the answer to your desire for being respected, being regarded, being, being celebrated. Now, don't come after me to get those things. Come after me because you love me. And that's a... The divided interests is another sermon for another time. But he's saying, listen, I am the answer. Oh, I am saved. Yeah. So you know me a little bit. You know my name. You got enough to, to be in the club. You've got a couple of branches sticking out of your little oasis. You could have a continent of life. You could be producing so much more. I am the source of all these things. Now, here's the complexity of this thing. There's so many things to do, right? I mean, right here this morning, we got dancers, we got musicians, we got camera people, and we desperately need all of you, especially camera people. <laughs> Ushers. I mean, Henry can't do it all. We need people to give. We need all of those things, right? And if you, if you do those things faithfully and wonderfully, they can get you some regard. But it's a fleeting regard. It's, it's a part of the journey, but it's not at the end of the day what we really want. What we want is more of him. I believe that the future of this church is going to be defined by a passion, by an abandonment to more of him that will cause us to consider it not a great sacrifice to come to church four times a month. They will wake up in the morning longing for him, will dream of him that we'll we'll be driving in our car and we'll find ourselves organically doing with the most spiritual person. we That guy prays in tongues even when he's golfing. How is that? Bubbling up. The life of God bubbling up. That's God's plan for you. If the life of God bubbles up, if the life of God is spewing out of your life, you know what? Uh, Anything with less pressure coming against you cannot get, get in. So let's stand up together. Father, thank you today. we Put your hand on your heart. Say, Father, I want this passion. I want this desire. I want the faith that propels me to seek. I want the, the sense that, that, that I, the confidence that I will find you if I seek for you with all my heart. And the confidence to know that you are, ultimately, more of you is what I need. You are, the de- you are the key for depression. You are the key for the moodiness. You are the key for my powerlessness, my weakness, my, my lack of discipline, my inability to think pure thoughts. You are the catalyst for every good thing. God, uh, turn my, I turn my heart towards you. I say, Lord, uh, you are what I want. You are what I want. In Jesus' name.